Will you pray with me? Now, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The book of Revelation is, for many people, a puzzling book because it comes out of a tradition of the church that is known as apocalyptic literature. And really, the reason that it becomes so confusing is that through imagery and metaphor, apocalyptic writers are trying to describe things that are indescribable to the human being trying to bring to reality things that move beyond the five senses of sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. How do you find the vocabulary to describe things that are beyond description? Well, you do the best you can, and you create images. And it's uh, like the two sides of a ladder. The book of Revelation describes two things that are happening simultaneously. The events that are going on in heaven alongside unfolding events on the earth. On the earth, there are all kinds of calamitous images, trials, struggles, famines, pestilence, war, death. Meanwhile, in heaven, there's an entirely other set of circumstances, punctuated at intervals by the blessing of sheer silence. Now, there are 39 to 40 million people living in the greater Los Angeles and Orange County area, all the stuff inside the mountains that ring round us. And I dare say, many of us have not had a night of silence in a long, long time. We hear helicopters whirring overhead, sirens, screaming down our streets. There's a bar in Brea that closes at around 2 in the morning on Friday and Saturday nights, and they cater to motorcycle riders. And I know this because at about 2.07, our yard backs up to Central Avenue, and they come through, and if they hit the light just right, they've slowed down, and they have to really give it some gas. Now, the saying among motorcycle riders is that loud pipes save lives because you can't see them, but you'll hear them. Well, they not only save lives, they interrupt sleep. I'm here to tell you. Um, some nights I am blessed that God knocks me out so hard I don't hear them anymore. It's hard to find silence, but in heaven there's this beautiful rhythm of the outburst of praise to Almighty God, punctuated by silence, as everything draws in its breath for another outburst of praise to Almighty God. I've taken, when I listen to people on the talk, talking head shows from time to time, the news shows and everything else, I've taken, especially if you can hear them on radio, I've taken to where I can't hear what they're saying anymore because all I hear is the, the gasp of breath as they're trying to make their next point. It's an odd thing, 
but I hear them breathing in and I don't hear what they're saying anymore. And maybe that's a, a blessing or a gift from God that I can't hear what they're saying anymore, but I just hear this, like people gasping for breath. And I think, yes, this world that we live in has left us breathless. I wish we had some silence. Because in the silence, we notice other things as well. Now, we're here today to celebrate the fact that those who are departed from us are present with the Lord. We're here to stand with the author of Revelation in the throne room of God. And as the book of Revelation opens up, we see clearly a distinct picture. There is one who is seated on a throne at the center of it all. A beautiful image. And around the throne are creatures who worship him. 24 elders of a nondescript kind of description. <laughs> there are creatures that are hovering over the throne who fly with some wings and cover their eyes with others. Cherubim, we might call them. And then as the picture of heaven unfolds, we see gathered in uh, a picture of 144,000 people from Jewish descent. Now, don't get caught up on the literalizing of that number. It's a nice, round number. And it represents people from all 12 tribes. What the author is saying is that God is completing his creation in Israel. And then the passage that was just read so beautifully by Cindy is given to us. That beyond those who are representing the tribes of Israel, elect from every nation are gathered in and they stand before the throne and their robes are glistening, shining, bright. It's the same word used to describe the clothes Jesus was wearing at the Mount of Transfiguration. They're dazzling. And the author says they are dazzling because these robes have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Now, who is the Lamb? You go back to the beginning of Revelation and seated beside the throne in the midst of the 24 elders and with all the cherubs flying around, there is next to the throne a Lamb. And he is, as it were, a Lamb slain. And this is where we get to place our Christian theology. In the picture of one who is glorious and powerful and mighty and wears a crown of a ruler and all glory and honor is due his name. And in between that and the picture of a lamb that was slaughtered as a sacrifice. In between these two pictures is where we place our understanding of God himself anywhere you want. For some, the glory of God is all there is. And for others, the sacrifice and the love and the compassion of Christ, our Lamb, our Passover, is all that speaks to our heart. And you can put your tent as close to one or other of those as you choose, but never, ever, ever outside. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. And God sits on the throne at the center of creation. It will be an important image for the author of Revelation because there's another character in Revelation. Her name is Babylon. 
And the first time you meet her, she is beautiful and alluring, and she looks for all the world like the woman in Proverbs, who is a rival to wisdom, but whose name is Folly. She is gorgeous. And she's seated upon a beast of strange description. And this beast is powerful. And, she, and the beast makes the woman powerful. And I share that with you because just a few chapters later, when we go back down to the earth from heaven, you see Babylon again, and she is no longer a beautiful woman, but as a far-flung, vast city, sprawling out just like Southern California. And something interesting has happened. There is a throne at the center of Babylon, and seated on the throne is the beast upon which she was riding when we first met her. It's a clue from the author of Revelation that those who will put their stock in earthly strategies, in earthly plans, in earthly power, in earthly pursuits, may ride those pursuits into glory and fame for a moment, but it's glory and fame that is fleeting. And in the end, that which we pursue in this world to set ourselves above everyone else will end up ruling us. I need look no further than the discovery of how to split the atom to know that the author of Revelation was onto something. We took that discovery and we used it to end a war that will end all wars and now we live under its threat every single day of our lives. And so it goes in this world. And the author of Revelation says, I'm not going to leave you in this world. I'm going to take you with me to the throne room of heaven. And there I'm going to show you a picture of people who have come through a time of persecution, of agony, of distress, of tribulation, of struggle. And they have come through victorious. They have come through with nothing on their lips but the name of Jesus with nothing to offer the world but the testimony of Christ. They have preached Christ and Him crucified. Not the pursuit of power, but the pursuit of love. Not the pursuit of personal gain, but the pursuit of satisfying the needs of others. Not the pursuit of vengeance, but the pursuit of forgiveness. Not saying to the world, oh, woe is me, I have become afflicted or struck down. Nobody even wants to talk to me anymore. But saying with Pastor Jerry, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. And it doesn't look like it. But they are blessed. And it doesn't feel like it, but we are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed because in this time of struggle and in this time of trial, we are gaining our life in Christ. The church not only receives its forgiveness of sins from Jesus, it receives its example from him. And we are meant to be those 
who live like him and who die like him. So that our life and our death, if it's going to matter at all, it matters in the sense that it becomes the life and death for others. We spend ourselves in sacrifice and service to the world. I have come across on a couple of occasions in libraries and through people who want to talk to me about such things, a book called The Book of Martyrs. It's a horrible book. There are ghastly descriptions in there, and I won't give you any of them, of how some of our brothers and sisters who kept the first testimony of Christ left this world. It's awful. Stonings and beheadings and all the other things that you can think of. These people were Christians and they were tortured. They were Christians and they were martyred. They were Christians and they died with the testimony of Christ on their lips. And so spectacular was their faith in Christ that everyone who watched them die said, I need that power within me. There's a remarkable story of a Jesuit priest who went into the Huron Lakes area as the New World was being opened up. And he sought to win people to Christ in that area. And his was such a belief that you had to win their hearts over and then offer them the sacraments. And he had come to live among some of the people in that region, among all those Native uh, Americans who were there. And a rival tribe, tribe had overtaken the tribe with which he was living. They took him, they submitted him to a gauntlet, they beat on him and made him run through their warriors, they cut him open and they put coals in the open places. And he never cried out except to pray to our Lord. And then they killed him. And they were so overtaken by his courage and his bravery that they drank his blood and ate his heart. Jean de Brebeuf, one of the saints of God. I wonder what we will say to Jean de Brebeuf when we meet him face to face. And all we have to say about ourselves is that the hardest part of my week this week is they put too much foam on my latte at Starbucks. <laughs> this is a remembering time today. And for those who claim the name of Jesus, this should be the most sacred day of our year. This is our memorial day. This is our time to remember that as hard as it gets in this world, we never give up the testimony of Jesus. They are shining in heaven today, and their robes are glistening. But I want to tell you a secret. We stand in the dazzling brilliance of their light because it's not their light we are seeing. They have become mirrors of Jesus Christ who is our light. They have become perfect, polished 
mirrors. It rained early this morning, but did anyone see the moon last night? It lit up the whole night sky, didn't it? But astrophysicists will tell you the moon may light the night sky, but it is not the source of the light. The moon is simply a perfect mirror to reflect the true light of the sun. And so the saints of God are perfect mirrors to reflect the light of Christ. You have some days left in this world. Some of our days are shorter than others. You and I have some time left in this world. We can spend it gasping for breath so that we can say the next thing that comes to our mind, or we can spend it in quiet reflection on the light of Christ and then ask, Lord Jesus, will you polish this mirror? Will you wash my life? Will you robe me in your righteousness? Will you make me to shine like the sun? so that I may worship you in heaven forever. Amen.